program and again appreciate uh, the parents for believing in the vision of our program and uh, you know, we're excited to welcome them all to the Clemson family. Um, this is our eighth top 15 class in a row uh, so you know we've become incredibly consistent. I don't really get too caught up in all the ranking stuff because you know, we've never had a number one recruiting class uh, but yet we're the second winningest team in the country over the last seven eight years so um, I don't really get too caught up in all that stuff. Uh, I'm much more caught up into the development of our players uh, and just just how we go about our business. Hey folks, welcome back to the Clemson Podcast. It is Sunday, February 18th. The Clemson men's basketball team is on a two-game skid. Clemson men's baseball team swept its opening series of the season against William & Mary. But we're not here to talk about any of that today. We are here to talk about wrapping up the uh, 2018 recruiting class for the Clemson Tiger football team. Uh, ben and Cody here with you today. We had promised you a Cody interview with QT. Unfortunately, uh, we weren't able to hook up with him on this occasion. So it'll be Cody taking QT's role today. I'll be stepping into Cody's place, which means... Uh, while Cody has big shoes to fill, I can hit cruise at about 80%. We should probably come out with a listenable show. That's our goal. If we can be 80% of what QT is, then that is sufficient. And I think people will find that a quality episode. Well, we hope so, um, because you're stuck with us for today. Um, but yeah, we're here in the podcast studios uh, top of Penthouse in San Francisco's Knob Hill watching the sunset. Cody's boring me with Bitcoin trading advice. Uh, Cody, you're making some deals over there. I hope we got your full attention. You can shut that down and focus on the show at hand. Dude, I, there's, no, there's no stopping when it comes to cryptocurrency trading. That's how you get rich in 2018. I'll give you a backstory. Cody and I were in uh, Lake Tahoe a couple weeks ago. Uh, I kept winning money gambling uh, the blackjack table. And while he was trying to figure out how to get it out of the casino, he circled back around three times just to tell me I was a degenerate gambler and I should leave. Cody, are you up <laughs> 500 bucks in this? I was, I was probably down close to that amount. The thing is, there's altitude in any of these places you go to, uh, like Colorado and Denver, up in those mountains, Tahoe. You ski, obviously, ski places. Messes with you. You have, you have you know, three beers and not, you know, not a drop more, because that's my limit. And, you know, on a good day, you start feeling a little lightheaded and, you, and then you try to go home and you can't find, <laughs> you can't find the place. Uh, so I'm not lying. He circled back around three times until I finally left with him so he could find his way home. You, uh, you did win a lot of money. Though, I, I, I did say. win a lot of money and more than you're winning or whatever you're doing right now, trading 
invisible currency. So anyways, that's not why we're here. We're here to talk about the, the, 2000, the stellar 2018 recruiting class for the, for the Clemson football team. Um, this was not the smallest class that we've seen Clemson take in recent years, uh, but it wasn't a big class, and we'll hit a little bit um, on that. We'll take a step back and kind of look at the, the larger view of this recruiting class as a whole, what it means for the team moving forward. And then we're also going to dive into the players that we didn't cover after National Signing Day Part 1, so a handful of guys there. Um, highlighted by the uh, surprise commitment from uh, Justin Ross, the five-star wide receiver out of the state of Alabama. Um, so a lot of things for Clemson fans to be excited about with this class. Again, this is not a Dabo's most talented and best class to date. That being said, we still see some holes on this football team. There are definitely some areas where uh, we didn't hit on. There's some guys we missed on that I think uh, may affect this team uh, moving forward um, as results in lack of depth and lack of talent. Uh, but overall, Cody, what's your initial take on this 2018 class? Well, it's, it's glowing positive reviews all around in terms of the talent. And uh, it, this is like the type of talent at each position group even that can win, that can compete for national championships and win national championships. And you, it starts with, Hunter, or, uh, with Trevor Lawrence, excuse me, and then Xavier Thomas. You get to what can be described as, I guess, generational talents um, and then a whole flurry of a five-star and guys that have a chance to be uh, in their career, all Americans, like a whole, I mean, they, they go beyond just the five stars that, that we know that are the transcendent talents. Yeah. And it's, um, I mean, six, five stars in this class, that's nothing, nothing to bat an eye at. Um, yeah. And not to mention with Trevor Lawrence and Xavier Thomas, they aren't your typical five stars. Like the gap between them and their next, you know, competition at their position group is pretty large. Right. And that, I mean, that's why we like to discuss this. Like every, I think Larry Williams, or no, I'm sorry, let's say, I think it was Paul Strela from Tiger Illustrated wrote an article saying that every five star is not created equally. Christian Wilkins and, and Dexter Lawrence are not every five star. Um, they're just, there's, there's like, you know, there, there really is such a thing as a six star essentially. And I think some players will hit that, and some players will just be really good. Like Deion Kane was a five-star. Maybe he didn't live up to that billing, but he was just really good. Right. Um, clearly, he was not the impact player that Dexter Lawrence has been or Christian Wilkins has you been. You can point out a guy like Shaq Smith. Now, he still has time, but he came in as a highly talented five-star linebacker, and he hasn't really made much of an impact yet. Yeah, or even in just looking at that uh, in, a, in its own little vacuum and just Trey, Trey Lamar and Shaq Smith. I mean, and I hope Shaq Smith will catch up. But that, that's a good a good example of a guy yeah there there can be can be night and day difference so yeah these guys when we talk about xt and trevor lawrence they're just on a completely different plane so yeah glowing reviews all around in terms of the talent especially the top level talent uh clemson has done an amazing job at not only um properly evaluating this these guys because the hit rate is really high um, but then developing the other guys around them uh, and, and getting them close to that four-star, five-star talent um, over time. The problem that we've seen in this class, and I, I wouldn't say it's a problem, um, it's just we're working with limited scholarship numbers. As we started out the class, I think we were around 11, 12, that was what we said. I don't know if that was ever really what we were, gonna, what we were aspiring to, but then it grew to about 15 um, going into the season. And we kind of held it tight right there. We ended up with 17. This is constant battle of dealing with attrition uh, from that, you know, from transfer. We know like it's this new game that we're playing. You, you bring in great guys. Some of them are going to leave after three years. And the guys that don't hit, they know how far back they're stuck on the depth chart. 
So they're going to leave. Well, so, then not to mention you bring back uh, the likes of uh, three different defensive linemen um, who could have gone into the NFL this year. They're back on the team. So those next guys, once stepped down, they expected to be having a more significant uh, role moving into next year. And you see a couple guys leave because of that. Exactly. Yeah, a guy like Sterling Johnson who, you know, he's a four-star coming in. He's about to enter, I think, his retro junior year. This is his chance. Um, you know, it, it makes sense for him to leave. And that, that's going to happen when you're, you're bringing in these high – five-star type talent players um it's just the name of the game so like part of this to me is us entering a new territory strategically we're going long with recruits we're not taking as many early commitments so that that put there's inherently more risk in the whole process of of clemson recruiting um so you know what do we do and and, and the, i guess this is all coupled i should say with Dabo not running guys off out of the program and now everything that's wrong in college athletics right now that is the best thing, you know, it's it's an amazing thing that he he treats it like that with that much respect for each player, his academic future, his athletic future, and he's not running anyone off. Right. I appreciate that. I'll never criticize that. And so, I mean, I mean, what you're saying is it's not any one thing in and of itself that is leading to these low numbers of recruiting classes. But I think as a Clemson fan, you do notice year in and year out, teams like Alabama, Georgia, you know, many teams in the SEC that are taking 25 plus recruits, whereas Clemson has been in the the mid-teens uh, for quite, you know, a, f a few years now. Last year we were pretty low. I can't recall the year before that, but that has seemed to be uh, the trend with Clemson's recruiting class. Now, we expect next year that we're going to have a full 25, 25 plus class. But why? I mean, is it all those things combined, or what else is there that you see uh, the, for the reason of Clemson bringing in such low numbers? Well, it, yeah, I mean, there's, there's a lot of things. I mean, part of it is sticking with guys. It was just kind of the way things started. Um, in terms of like the dandy dozen, it was just things got out of whack a little bit. Who gets a red shirt? Who doesn't? And the numbers just shook out like that. Um, how you, uh, I guess, augment that or kind of you want to offset that is in a, in a case where you're, you're starting to recruit who you're recruiting. Look at our junior class, um, who we thought a lot were headed to the NFL. The guys that we actually didn't think that were headed to the NFL um, went, and the guys that we thought would go stayed. But um, once you get those type of players, then you're, you're fine. You're, there's this balancing act of um, you, you have to, I think the idea is to know what's going on in their lives, which I think David does a great job of knowing kind of their intentions. But you, ultimately, you can never know. And the only thing, I guess, to, to kind of combat what happened, uh, when, I, when I say that, is probably we were probably four to maybe five guys short in this class because it was a miscalculation some would say mismanagement, whatever you want to call it. But I, I think it's just opening up the board a little bit earlier. So yeah, Don't tell Dax Hollyfield, linebacker that was just – Right. Don't tell him that he – don't take a scholarship back. So you're saying early on keep that board a little bit more wide open or, or at least not be so conservative with the, with the amount of numbers that you anticipate taking. Exactly. Open it up. Keep that line of communication up with these recruits. And, and maybe, just maybe, at least in this class, with the subcoming class with uh, 2019 – Maybe take a few, take a flyers on a, on a upside three star early, just in, a, in certain position groups. Well, especially with, because within certain position groups, uh, whether it be the offensive line, perhaps linebacker, and definitely in the secondary, you've got three, four, five spots sometimes of guys, you know, players that you want to need to bring in and fill those positions. So maybe in those instances, you do early on fill up one of those spots by a guy that maybe a long term developmental product. Uh, project but we've also seen that co the coaching staff and their ability to evaluate a player um, you know pay dividends 
So, so why not do that? Exactly. And, and I think the brand commands enough respect and power where you can get what you could, what you could classify as high floor, low ceiling guys. And maybe those are the players that also add that, that chemistry character element to the program. So, you know, you know, they're giving you that intangible value. So they're worth their early commit or commitment and, t- and they're early in taking that commitment is worth any risk. So you can't, I mean, you can't have it both ways where you're running a responsible program, I guess I'll call it, or an ethical one where you're not running guys off the team, but also keeping these large recruiting classes open to bring in the best of the best. So there has to be a balance there. I mean, is there a way where Clemson and Dabo can continue to recruit the way that he's been recruiting and still be successful and, you know, play with the big boys on the national stage? And I mean, it's great to have a top 10 recruiting class, but when it's only 17 guys and other schools are up into the 20s, um, that makes them less vulnerable to missing on guys and it also makes them less vulnerable to injury. Exactly. Um, it's a couple of points there. For one is like, how do you uh, forecast the, these type of things? And I think Brian, uh, Brian Goodison, uh, editor of STS, he has a good point. He's like, he looks at a, a, the average, the last like four year average of people that, uh, players that have transferred um, in early departures of the NFL, which is a little bit more volatile or there's more variance there just depending on the year. And, and maybe as a, as a staff, you have to be like, we've got, and I don't know what those, number are, what those numbers are offhand, but you have to account for a certain amount of transfers. Maybe you play on the conservative side just because you want to do right by your, by your students. But you got to account for those and you got to add that into your board. And the same with your NFL players. And again, that's more uh, variable from your year based off the talent that's coming into that junior class. But you got to put a number there and you got to base that number. I think you got to be, you can't be so rigid. And, you know, and, and I think maybe if there is one criticism of Dabo being, doing the right thing, he's being a little bit too rigid uh, and, and not expanding the board. So that, that's what I would say. I mean, at a certain point, you have to start taking more than two offensive linemen. Exactly. And, and you talked about Georgia and Alabama. And, and everyone's like, well, Dabo will figure it out. I've heard shit like that all the time. Dabo, like, you can't, fig- he didn't figure it out in, in, against Alabama in, in the last matchup. Like, he couldn't figure out the offensive line was. Like, there's some things, um, McKenzie Alexander went down in 2015 as, a, you know, our premium, high, you know, elite talent uh, quarterback. We really didn't have an answer there. Because of certain numbers, like, there's I, I there think, are things. I think Clemson still suffers from that. I, I still don't think we're quite at that elite level where if our main guy goes down, that we can be comfortable throwing somebody in there uh, as the backup and not having much of a drop off. Alabama still has that advantage. Now, when all things are when things are clicking on all cylinders, you're lucky and you're you're avoiding injury. Um, you know, as in when Clemson went in and beat Alabama uh, for the national title a couple of years ago, um, it's all gravy. But when you do sustain some injuries, you see what happens. I mean, it, 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 it is a weakness, and Clemson, I think, continues to push towards building quality depth all across the board. But you still see some deficiencies on this team, and there's some holes in this recruiting class that we can kind of point to. Exactly, and that would be – and, again, I think you can still be very thankful and love Dabo for not just getting us uh, to where we are and doing it the right way. Uh, you know, we have – immense gratitude and we a lot of uh, you know um, satisfaction with with him getting us there uh, at the same time there you know every company even the best companies have certain parts of divisions within their company where they need you know yeah and you have to constantly evaluate what you're doing uh when compared to the other elite teams or businesses if you're talking about a company 
Um, so there's always some self-reflection, and you've got to be 100% positive that this coaching staff is doing that. We're not telling them something they don't know. We're not being any more critical than they would be of themselves. We're just, you know, talking out loud about these things and interested to see how they change or adapt and evolve moving forward. Exactly. I mean, that's what we're here for, for, you know, conjecture, debate, and, you know, speculation. And, yeah, if we're – why let's don't be boneheaded and consider, like, uh, Dabo and the rest – Dabo and crew as if they're gods or, you know, they're, they, they can't possibly make a mistake because they can. And we, we give our fair share of praise to them 98% of the time – well, you know, we're also going to discuss honest, honest, honestly and objectively the things that where there could be some shortcomings or some areas of, of improvement. Um, yeah, exactly. I mean, we have to be fair and we have to be honest with ourselves. We're not trying to wear orange tinted glasses. That being said, this is still an incredible recruiting class. Like, it, it's, no, it, it's an understatement to say that it was a good recruiting class. Clemson fans should certainly be excited. You know, the, the per... Uh, Prospect star rating over four is an absolutely amazing feat. At Clemson, I think they were like three nine something, three nine six, or just under four last year. Ended up over four this year. Now you see some other teams, USC and Georgia, have incredibly high star ratings too. But you know, at least we're up there at the top. Um, and at least if we are bringing in limited classes, that uh, these guys are highly rated and have a lot of talent, which makes them more likely to hopefully hit you hit on them as opposed to them being bust. Exactly. You're, I think you're going to have a high hit rate. You know, obviously with all the five stars, it's pretty hard. I mean, most are going to hit to some degree as a five star. But then even the three stars or the guys are not as recruited as highly. Some. What's weird, a guy like Josh Belk uh, is looked at as, as, as a five star by some services and a three as others. Uh, there's some, you know, evaluation that goes into it where Clemson has an edge over recruiting services, and that's part of it. And the other part is, uh, certain guys will say like Jake Venables, uh, easy easy uh, example here. He's going to bring something to this program. And I'm not Absolutely. just talking about his his dad's loyalty or continued uh, coach, you know, uh, employment. Well, coaches' sons, no matter who they are. I mean, Van Smith being an example, uh, they tend to excel on the football field, even with limitations in their physical abilities. And I mean, we know how smart Brent Venables is, and I can only imagine being his son playing the position that he played and coaches. Um, what how, you know, what benefit that is to you as a player. And we'll talk about him in a little bit, but, you know, that's certainly important. So um, it's not just the physical things that you see. Um, there's some intangibles that go along with it. Um, so why don't we shift gears now and talk about the guys who signed uh, on National Signing Day Part 2. Um, and for guys we don't talk about, in case you missed it, we did a National Signing Day Part 1 recap. Uh, Quack and Tiger from Shaken Southland and Cody did that one in uh after the original nasting signing the early signing period back in late december so go check that one out if you you didn't hear that they went in depth on all the players who signed back then uh so we'll do the same today where i want to start cody is the most exciting part the five-star wide receiver out of alabama justin ross this guy you know a lot of people in clemson circles i think felt good about his commitment uh, but maybe this kind of blindsided Alabama. He did, and I wouldn't say Auburn to the same degree, but um, I, I, one of the more interesting recruitments and uh, some of the details have leaked after the fact. And uh, you know, some uh, some of this I don't like to get into because we're talking about we're talking about a high schooler, you know, uh, these highly impressionable kids in a lot of cases. Uh, but in the case of Ross, like I think he always wanted Clemson. He always liked the coaching staff. His mom. 
um, really who, who was uh, military, always had like this, uh, I guess, uh, connection with the coaching staff. He, Clemson was always the favorite. It's just so damn difficult to pull away from that in-state pry of Alabama. And you think of like Clemson, South Carolina, um, our, our in-state hold, well, like it's probably times 10 in the state of Alabama. So he, he grew up 30 minutes from Auburn. Um, and, and obviously, they, I think they were in it early. And they were a player the whole way. But I think by, by senior year, it came. It was a two, two-horse race between us and Alabama. And I think we led most of the way. Alabama did take over um, there at the end. And they were, I think that's where he was trending. Grandma, grandma really, really, for some reason, maybe she doesn't like to travel, really wanted Alabama and did not want Clemson. Well, Grandma grew up in the state of Alabama. She's either going to be an Alabama or Auburn fan, so I think we have an indication of where her allegiance lies. Uh, but, I mean, yeah, you mentioned it. This is the first time since James Winston that the top recruit in the state of Alabama has left the state, um, only the third time in 20 years. I mean, this is a huge pull. Absolutely. Um, the talent level, like, he's not just a – we didn't do it just to, like, flex our guns, which was which is kind of cool. It was, a you know, it's part of it. We, we did get to – goes head-to-head with Alabama and Auburn and, and come out on top. Um, but he is an amazing, amazing talent uh, and, and good good person. It took a lot of courage, a lot of uh, – I, I can't think of the word uh, as a guy – at 18 to, to go against the grain uh, of going to Alabama or Auburn. So that says a lot about him. He went with his heart where he felt was best for him with a lot of negative recruiting going against Clemson. Um, crazy shit like – you know, we don't play in a pro-style offense, and we're going to be like a run-heavy team, which is, aside from this last year, is just crazy. Because we're with Trevor Lawrence and Hunter Johnson in the fold, I think there's going to be a few passes going around. Well, and look how well Clemson's uh, past wide receivers are doing in the NFL right now. I think that speaks for itself. Yeah, yeah. Not just, not just what we put on the, on the field and what's uh, developed in the NFL, but yeah, what's also in the fold in terms of quarterbacks. So... Um, what we get in, from him in terms of skill set, so you could compare him to Mike Williams. Uh, Dabo compared him to, to Mike Williams in terms of uh, physically as a sophomore. So he's a little bit more developed. T. Higgins last year, part of his issue was just being so undersized. Uh, it, it, it was detrimental. He could get undersized out. as far as his frame, like his weight, right? Exactly. He's yeah. got so, the height. Right, right. He's yeah, all of 6'5". But yeah, when you talk about DBs, out physically, out physicaling, is that the word? No, but keep going. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll run with it. Um, <laughs> so it, it does create a problem. With Justin Ross, that's not going to be an issue. Like he's, he's ready-made. I mean, this is a guy that they think could step on the field day one and make a huge impact. I mean, he'll have some adjustment to the game, transitioning from high school to college, as every player does. But in terms of making an immediate impact uh, next year, you're talking, are you saying something more uh, more in the line of Sammy Watkins and what he was able to do um, from his first game on, uh, as opposed to like a DeAndre Hopkins who came on later in the year? Right. I, I would say in terms of uh – Freshman ready. He's probably more in, in the vein of uh, Sammy Watkins. Right. Whereas T. Higgins, when we talked about him last year, we thought he would be able to have that Sammy Watkins upside and talent. And I still think T. Higgins, talent-wise, is the best receiver, including Ross, that's ever come into Clemson, at least to my, to my memory. Um, but because of his physical limitations or his size, putting on weight, he, he'll, he'll probably get there this year, honestly. But uh, with Justin Ross, they're, they're, he's, he's ready. He's physically ready. Uh, in high school, he he runs a lot of fades, a lot of deep routes. 
and he'll be able to be used in the nine role for that. Um, he's another basketball player, great skill set. Ball skills will be will be will be there. Um, the only thing he'll need to work on really is like route running, um, some of the nuances, position, um, blocking, obviously. And I, and I think just because you want to get T. Higgins and Justin Ross on the field at the same time, I think you want to move Ross to the five, which is where sure. Hunter in the slot where Hunter uh, Hunter Renfro resides. Well, not just there. I mean, you, we, we talked about it last year about the four wide receiver sets that you'd see this um, offensive coaching staff would run out there every once in a while, essentially the fourth wide receiver taking the place of the Jordan Leggett, your tight end. Um, Clemson being less um, – Clemson less relying on tight end play, at least as far as uh, from a skill maker, offensive skill maker position um, last year. So I think that's a, another thing. I mean, again, the Clemson, the tight end position this year doesn't – uh, project as being, an, you know, we don't, we shouldn't expect to have game-changing play from the tight end position. So I think there's an opportunity to get your T. Higgins and Justin Ross on the field at the same time, or DeAndre Overton and Justin Ross and T. Higgins, you know, whichever combination you go. I think that's one way you might see the the coaching staff incorporate them. Exactly. Yeah. There's no clear answer at tight end, and unfortunately, in terms of catch, uh, pass catching ability, unfortunately, there's not a clear answer uh, for the next year or two. Uh, Braden Galloway uh, in this class looks like he might be that guy. but So that's an opportunity yeah. where you take like a 6'3", six, 6'4", six, Milan Richard, whatever he is, and put a same size wide receiver on the field. Not to mention you'd have two guys presumably on the field that are 6'4", six, 6'5", six, plus. With that frame, how do you defend that? It, well, if you got the guy that can get them the ball, it becomes this perfect marriage of uh, very, very damn hard to defend. And I think there's... I think there's some uh, arm talent on the team that can keep these wide receivers happy. So it, it's very exciting. I mean, uh, getting Sammy Watkins and New Hopkins was kind of like happenstance. Just two guys that even outperform what their ranking, especially Nuke, what their ranking was in back-to-back years. And I think T. Higgins and uh, and Justin Ross are wow, like NFL mold, unbelievable talent. Well, the trend continues at Clemson. Uh, embarrassment of riches has been for years at the wide receiver position. Uh, we won't fail to mention Darren Kidrick, the other five-star that Clemson pulled in in this class. He signed um, on the dotted line back in December. Um, so, yeah, as far as the wide receiver position, I think the Tigers can say they really hit home runs and filled their needs. I would, I would say it was, it was a home run, and, then, and this coming on the hills of the past year with Amari Rodgers and D. Higgins, like wide receiver U is, is – it's stocked. The cupboard is, is quite stocked. Continues to be strong. Yeah. So let's uh, move now to Mario Goodrich. You know, he's another signing day surprise for the Clemson Tigers. I think he ended up giving his verbal uh, a week ahead of time is what we were reading. Um, but that was kept under wraps. Clemson goes in and steals a guy from LSU uh, at the last minute. He was a lot of people considered the, thought that he was a huge LSU lean. Clemson goes in there and takes him. Uh, Clemson also, again, late in the game, goes out and pulls in some really good secondary talent. Yeah, a la uh, Isaiah Simmons, a la Trayvon Mullen, Trayvon Wallace. Wallace. Yeah, um, and it's back-to-back years. We've gone in uh, to – it wasn't Louisiana this time, but it was, it was pretty close. It was their territory more so than it was ours. Uh, we got Etienne, and now we get a guy that's super stupid talented in, in Mario Goodrich. And – Four, four years ago, like, God, like, the, the divergence between our program and LSU after, after we won that, that, that matchup late in the season, and I'm, that's a whole other podcast for a whole other day, but 
man, things have, have really took a swing for us and to, to, to take him away from them. And, and interesting enough, Sertain, Patrick Sertain, who the five-star, best cornerback in the class, was also thought to be they heavily lost. leaning towards LSU. They lost him to Alabama. So, yeah, that's – They come up empty. That's like, a huge yeah. loss for LSU in as much as it's a big gain for us. I mean, how's a guy like Goodrich stay on the board that long? I mean, did, was he underrated or just kind of off the radar? Or just everybody thought that LSU had him in their back pocket and no, nobody offered, nobody else offered, or, or gave a big push? That's a great question, and that's where QT would really come in handy. But I, I will say, I, I, from what I understand, uh, to my knowledge, it was LSU was a front runner, and I think most people thought that was uh, where it was going to go. Um, and he, he didn't feel 100% comfortable with LSU. And Part of that probably was like coaching stability there. Ed Ordron, who knows how long he's going to be there. Right. And LSU, unfortunately for them, the brand isn't what it was four or five years ago. It's, it's, taken, a, it's taken a fall. And Clemson, the brand has, as we just talked about, it's, it's surpassed LSU. So when he met with, with the coaches, he saw the facilities, he saw the um, academic side, he fell in love with it. And, you know, we, we say this like, it is really nice, really nice, really nice when, nice when, you, when they decide to choose Clemson for the same reasons or similar reasons that we as 18-year-old kids chose Clemson, you know, for the, the beauty right. of it. And, we, and, we, and that's what he saw. And it's, uh, it's really good. He wanted, to be a, he wanted to be a Tiger. Late in the process, um, LSU was still feeling good. They, I don't think they knew that the, the silent had come in. And Clemson wants to play it like that. Same with Ross. They don't want to make it known that he's leading their way. That's when the in-state pressures and people around them in their circles start making their, their presence felt. Well, I like the trend going of uh, going on to Clemson, going in, stealing guys from Tennessee, stealing guys from LSU, maybe with Carmen, looking like stealing guys from Ohio State. It's pretty nice. It, yeah. Good feeling. That's how you know when you can compete against the best. I mean, obviously we know that because we've seen the product on the field, but you still have to – uh, keep uh, refilling the coffers, right? And that happens through recruiting. Exactly. And uh, to talk about what Goodrich gives you uh, as, a, as an athlete, as a cornerback, well, he's the comparison is Trayvon Mullen. And I, and I definitely see that, especially the way they, in high school, they both were athletes playing some receiver, uh, kickoff returner, and then, and then in the secondary as, as the team needs you. Um, incredible athlete. Another 6'2 player. Like, we the days of Ryan Carter, you know, God bless his heart. Those are over in Clemson. Like for every receiver, or I'm sorry, every quarterback that's coming through is six two, runs a four four forty, and has incredible um, wingspan. So like these are the guys you would carve out. Like the NFL would would, would carve out in a in a in a uh, lab in terms of what they want in terms of physical skill set. Um, again, I think he's already has a little bit of polish to the cornerback position. He'll need the, the to get there, uh, a little bit more of refinement, um, hips and things like that, just technique. But. How much of an impact can we expect him to make right away? He's not an early enrollee, so he'll come in in the summer. Uh, so a guy like this, I mean, has the physical tools and capabilities. Do you think he makes an impact right away? Well, I think there's a need there. So I think I, I don't look. I don't think he'll be a red shirt. Um, and again, because of his physical tools, that can potentially make up for a lack of of knowledge, of skill set, or, or not having the perfect polish and technique. Um, but enough physical talent, the margin for error becomes a lot lower, and I think he will make uh, an impact and, and hit, you know, compete with Lee Anthony Williams on the two deep for that kind of fourth or fifth cornerback spot. And, and we, frankly, we need a guy that talented. And that doesn't even speak or, you know, say for Tyler McMichael, who I don't know exactly what's going to happen with him between 
the safety or cornerback position. Well, and you saw what happened last year with Clemson taking all the hits um, uh, to, to the depth of the quarter cornerback position in regards to having all those injuries. I mean, to the point where Raymond McLeod ended up out there on the field in significant uh, in a significant role. So. Um, yeah, it'll be really interesting to see how fast he is able to grasp the system and come along. Uh, but, you know, all told, this is a huge grab for Clemson, that's for sure. Um, let's move on uh, to the defensive line here. You know, Clemson, you could say, had three six-stars signed in this class with the guys returning. Um, but you're still going to need to replenish uh, uh, your backups there um, across the defensive line, especially after this year. We have a few guys coming off the books uh, after next year, that is. Uh, Darnell Jeffries uh, is the second defensive tackle that Clemson brought in in this class, Josh Belk being the, being the other one that we already talked about previously in the last episode. But tell us a little bit about Jeffries. Yeah, so interestingly, he, uh, he had a lot of offers, but it, it, from, you know, I think Alabama was the other big offer. So three-star player, and this, this defensive tackle class wasn't as loaded as previous years. I think there, there will be, I think next year will be a little bit better, but Given that, I think Clemson did really well. Uh, Jeffries is he's ready-made. I think he's 275, played at 275 in high school. Uh, played a lot of defensive end. He'll move into the three-technique defensive tackle position. Uh, think Christian Wilkins, think Carlos Watkins. Sure. Uh, a little bit of Gray Jarrett, or yeah, a little bit of Gray Jarrett uh, to penetrate the gap, shoot the gap, and get to the quarterback. Um, he's got the perfect skill set. Playing defensive end, uh, the right body type. He's going to want to put on a little bit more muscle, but for the most part, when a guy a guy can very easily go from 275 to 290, and and that's good. Uh, he'll need with like handwork, uh, technique, pad level, things like that. He'll need some coaching, some development there. But a perfect player, if that's like your your project player, like most schools, he's going to be most Division One schools, he's going to be an impact player right away. At Clemson, you, you know, give him a couple years to to get right, and he'll be. You know, competing on the two deep. So this is a situation, especially with him coming in in the summer, where you probably could expect a red shirt. I think so. Given the numbers, I think so. Um, but a, a red shirt in the sense of like, like a Niles Peakney red shirt sure. or a uh, Jordan Williams, who who's the next guy right. up. Um, whereas like red shirt to get your body right, to get your a little bit of coaching in, and then ready to really compete by year two. So keeping it on the defensive line, uh, let's turn over to defensive end now. Another five-star that Clemson got uh, to really book in there with Xavier Thomas is K.J. Henry. He's a guy that I think was going to complement what Xavier Thomas does really well. You know, I think Xavier probably looked uh, for him to have an impact this year on the two deep. K.J. Henry probably get in there and get some snaps, so it probably should not expect him to be much of an impact this year. But looking two, three years down the road, the future is really bright for this kid. Yeah, yeah. In, in most years, and what we really, what we thought coming into this year was that he would be, he would be needed to make an instant impact. But with obviously with Austin Bryant, Cleveland Farrell coming back, that's not so much the case. But yeah, all the all the tools, um, all the, the athleticism, um, it, there is a little bit, a little bit of projection and upside kind of uh, potential in his five star rating, where you get like XT for example, Xavier Thomas. That guy is... He's a known entity. Like, it's... I mean, you know what you're going to get out of him. Yeah, high ceiling and high floor. Like, right. he's there. Um, it's going to be... It's going to take a lot for him to disrupt his path on the way to All-American in three year and out. With K.J. Henry, it's going to be a little bit of... Um, physical maturation will need to come in. Um, I think with his dad being a coach, he has the right pedigree. Um, he'll be... He'll, he'll get there. Um, but it might take a little bit longer than year one. Uh, but despite, despite that, I think he will play in year one. I don't expect a redshirt. But 
we talk, we talk about all these guys that Clemson goes after in terms of defensive ends that are long, and that's, that's what they want for various reasons. He is probably the longest of all of them. Cleveland Farrell is about, I think he's 6'5", and then I think Henry might be having like a half an inch on him. So, so, I mean, we, so we can uh, expect him to assume a role of dropping back in coverage like Brent Venables likes to do with these defensive ends. I, I think so. I mean, he could, yeah, absolutely. He could be used in that way. Uh, and, and more than that, though, is just playing in space. Uh, when you watch Cleveland Farrell and Austin Bryant, too, they get to the sideline really quickly. And that, that's the difference in a lot of cases of a guy making a, you know, a tackle for a loss and a guy going, going uh, cutting it loose for 30 yards. Well, it's been key in uh, helping the Clemson defense prevent teams from spreading the field, stretching the field on them. Right. And that, that limits a lot of the big plays that used to hurt Clemson in the past. If you can stop them um, at the line of scrimmage on the edges... Right, right. It's it's in a lot of ways you can use these guys, and he he played tight end starting out. Clemson originally recruited him, I think, in ninth grade as a tight end. Really, and frankly, if he wanted to, he could flip to that side of the field, and I think he would be just as good because he's just got that type of talent. But uh, brighter future, D. What's that? A brighter future, D. Yeah, I guess long term long term projection. I guess so. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. If you can do it as defensive end, there's always a premium for that. So. But yeah, an incredibly bright future. I think by year two, he'll get enough stabs in year one to you know to get him uh, get his feet wet. In year two, I'd look for him to compete in the starting role, opposite XT. So 100 snap range for Henry. That that'll be tough. I think if there's enough garbage time and with our schedule, there should be. Then yeah, you absolutely want to get him in that 100 150 snap range. There's no reason he sh- if you're going to burn the redshirt, there's no reason he shouldn't be uh, in that range. So let's uh, flip it over to another defensive end, and this is a guy that's definitely under the radar. You have him pegged as could be the biggest surprise player in this class, and that's uh, defensive end Justin Maskell. Yeah, and we kind of lost sight of him, but he also is another long, fast player. Um, you know, I think he went to the Army All-American game and, sh- and turned heads. And part of that is like, you know, I guess I guess the knock against him a little bit was maybe his size, his weight, and not seeing like these incredible like Xavier Thomas type measurables uh, where he's you know he's not the fastest, but he does everything really well. Um, a little bit of um, development needed in his skill set, almost with every defensive lineman. So maybe a situation where he won't necessarily catch your eye on paper, but when you see him out there on the field, uh, you see his potential. Exactly. Yeah, and he he looks the part and. If I could say one thing, just like the size of a defensive end. When I mean, you get a Cleveland Farrell, for example, he came in at about 230, and you know he's got to get to 260. There's some risk. There's some risk there. And I, I, I compare him a little bit to Cleveland Farrell. The risk is like he puts on that weight and he, he can't carry it. And he, he's decided. Slows down. Yeah, he's decided if he's going to be a speed rusher or if he's going to be able to like this, be a guy that can set the edge as well. And I think with Maskell, he's got that's the risk him putting on a little bit of extra weight and being an every down. Uh, defensive end but with that six four six five frame that he has chances are he'll be able to put it on fairly well so whereas with henry you know he's only got about 15 20 pounds to gain i think to kind of fill into his frame where he would want to be uh, it's a bigger stretch for maskell he's only listed at 220 right now i mean how much weight does he have to put on 40 50 pounds yeah i mean and that's like what, what do you want to do you know do you want to be like do you want to keep your speed and like for every guy it's different it's a case-by-case basis uh, some guys will put on 20 pounds uh, you know, not a great example, but Adam Choice, for example, he put on too much weight his freshman year. Right, lost down. all of his speed. Yep. Yeah, so like you got to find that optimal uh, 
that optimal balance between uh, you know, keeping your speed, keeping your strength, and then, and then uh, you know, what's best for you, what, what brings yields the biggest uh, dividend for you. So, um, yeah, I, I, it'll be tough to see or tough to tell right now, but ultimately two, three years, this guy could be just as good as he could be like another Shaq Lawson or Kevin Dodd that took a few years to develop. And then what do you know? You've got a potential first round draft pick. Could, yeah, could be. You, you never know. That, you, know, you know, you can't guarantee that, but it's, it's interesting how that's been happening a lot in, in the recent history for uh, Clemson, especially that the defensive end position. Is just, guys are just lined up. When one leaves, there's another one standing in there, um, all-American caliber. Yeah, and, and like, I guess, look at his ranking. He's one, you know, he's like top 150. I think at one time he was top 100. That's exactly where Austin Bryant right. and Farrell were. They needed a little bit of development, but it took them about a year. Which is fine, because not all these guys are going to come in and play right away as freshmen. Like, that, that, that's not to be expected, no matter what their star rating is, how good they are coming out of high school. It, it you know, it's different from, from, from guy to guy, player to player, depending on what system and what level of competition they played in in high school, how that translates into playing college football. We mentioned it with Shaq Smith. You know, Trey Lamar came along a lot quicker. Shaq Smith came in, same class, five-star rating, highly touted. Hasn't made much of a difference yet. So players develop at different rates. Don't be disappointed if you don't see them come in and make a huge impact right away. But if you look three years down the road, look what they're doing then. Right. And I think with uh, the other thing about Maskell is his, his family. He has a great family. They really wanted Clemson, another guy. I think he's going to uh, – you know, commit himself to the program and knowing that he's coming in with XT and sure. KJ Henry and I, he knows it's going to be a year or two before he's competing. But well, that kind of takes the pressure off this guy a little bit. I mean, he is going to come in under the radar. He's not going to be expected to, to be a huge playmaker right away. So that gives him more time and less pressure in his developmental process. And in the return of Christian Wilkins and all those and Farrell sure. and, and Austin Bryant will pay dividends down the road too, and not putting pressure on XT in the, his first year. He's he's going to make an impact. You're going to you're going to be wowed by him his yeah. first year, but it's he doesn't have to like what we originally thought he was going to have to be really good as a freshman. So he won't have to be that. KJ Henry can develop at his own pace, and Maskell can take that red shirt. And uh, we'll see him in a year or two down the road. It'll be an interesting narrative, and it's one that we should uh, remember to, to th- we, sh- we should remember when we're talking about this three years down the road of what impact it had of Bryant and Farrell and Wilkins coming back, and how that affects guys three years down the road because it's going to make a difference. Uh, you know, not putting the pressure on them to succeed right away and giving them more time to, to learn at their own pace. I think that's going to be hugely beneficial. But we'll just have to see how that plays out. Um, keeping it on the defensive side of the ball, we got two more guys to get through here. Uh, let's move on to the linebacker position. Uh, first, the longest Clemson commit on the board, Mike Jones, committed early from IMG Academy. He was a big recruiter of Xavier Thomas throughout the process, really helped him landing him. But um, more than that, looks like he's going to be a pretty good linebacker. I think so. Well, the book's still out on him where he'll play. Um, I, I, it will be a linebacker position, like 95% certain of that. Played a lot of safety in high school, uh, and that's because he had the speed but also the size. But uh, I think they moved him up to a little bit linebacker this previous year at IMG. He's like the prototypical nickel Sam. I don't think he's Dorian O'Daniel. Like, he's not uh, the well, offspring. Is, or right. Yeah, but he can play that role. He offers enough versatility, I think. Where he can do a little bit in coverage, can potentially put a little bit in coverage, but also be big and fast enough, strong enough 
to um, to play the sand position as well, and that's what you want. You want. I think what you'll see is like we could, what you could call the platoon situation, where you go from nickel to sand. What we did pretty much every year until uh, DOD solidified himself in seventeen. Well, Venables does demand a lot of versatility out of players all across the defense. I mean, you'll see safeties playing the sand nickel position. Um, the linebackers playing in that same role, and then you'll see the defensive ends dropping out in coverage. I mean, it's a lot of versatility on this football team, on the defense side at least, amongst all layers. So it sounds like this is another guy that kind of fits into that mold. Yeah, and I would describe that as Venables doesn't demand the versatility. Um, he, he has players that are that dynamic enough to where he can use the Swift Samarinoff and however he however he deems fit. And in the case of uh, – but, yeah, in the case of that position – Specifically, though, there is, you know, there's a little bit more, uh, you know, you, you have to have a guy that can't get beat by a, you know, a slot receiver or a tight end or the, and, and conversely can take on the punches of a tight end coming out to block you. And uh, it'll be interesting. I think Isaiah Simmons could be a possible solution at the nickel Sam position um, next year. But you don't. But he has such an upside at safety. You don't want to take too many reps, or kind of. You don't want to mix back and forth. So, so with that, where do you see Mike Jones fitting in this year? Does he come in and make an impact right away, or I mean, or at least see some significant snaps at all? As rare as it is for a guy as a linebacker to come in, and we've seen five stars now. Uh, Trey Lamar took a little bit of time. Shaq, Shaq sure. Smith still waiting. Shaq uh, are out. Anthony, um, why am I not thinking of his other name? Uh, Stefan Anthony. It took a couple of years. So it takes some time, but I think the nickel sand position playing closer to the line, line of scrimmage, a um, little bit more instinct-based, and I think Mike Jones has the instincts. Great pedigree. Dad was tenure, a 10-year NFL player, so he could potentially make an impact. I don't see him starting, but I definitely could see him getting reps there. Um, at the nickel sand position in year one. Well, and, and much like the quarterback on the offensive side of the ball, linebacker on defense is one of the positions where it's hardest for true freshmen to come in just because there's, there's so many things to know and there's so many things going on. Um, you yourself have to be very versatile, um, both in stopping the run and dropping into coverage. You saw limitations from Ben Bulware in that aspect. And as good as he was as a linebacker, it hurt the team in some ways. Um, so and spread offenses too, like going you know from one week to a spread offense, going the next week to a pro style, different responsibilities and different things um, that that are going to stretch you. And then you play Georgia Tech. And then you play Georgia Tech. Well, it, what I think they're going to they're going to enjoy that as long as Venables is the coach at Clemson. But I don't know. Dod was the uh, Georgia Tech killer. He's no longer on the football team, so I'll be interested to see if there's any drop off. Yeah, I think maybe not with the the defensive line we have bringing back coming back this year. Not in 2018. Maybe, uh, maybe not in a year. As long as Paul Johnson is coach at Georgia Tech and Brent Venables is defensive coordinator at Clemson, I feel really good about that matchup. <laughs> Me too. Um, so keeping it with the linebackers and speaking of Venables, Jake Venables, uh, Brent's son comes in. You got him as a three-star talent, a six-star work ethic. Um, you know, I, I think. We feel as Clemson fans like we know this kid more than we actually do just because him being the son of the defensive coordinator. Uh, but tell us something about him that we may not know or what to expect out of him, um, given that you know, we're just making guesses. Yeah, well, Dabo has gone ad nauseum about him being a clone of Brent Venables, like, a fo- like the 2.0 version of Venables if he were to play football right now, like just that, ter- that uh, type of tenacity and intensity. And from everything I've heard about him, like his work ethic, 
his commitment, like in the weight room, for example, where you can see very tangible benefits and growth. Um, he went from really small, like just gangly little freshman. If you watch his Daniel tape, and I remember thinking, who is this like, you know, peewee kid, like 150 to, pounds, but but moving, yeah, but moving fairly well, and like you know, like knowing where to go, hitting guys up from 150 pounds up to like he's like 220, 230 now. Uh, but it, but in that growth, he, he became a better football player. He also got a little bit slower. Uh, or you know, he, yeah, it's got to be hard for a kid to put on nearly a hundred pounds um, and maintain your athletic. I mean, your your flexibility, your speed, and your quickness. I mean, how is it to be expected? Does he have to adapt his game as he does put on more muscle and weight? Well, it'll it'll see. We'll see what. I guess what he'll need to do from this point, from a physical standpoint, but like I think in his mind, what I'm guessing to get to 230, that's kind of that threshold for college linebackers, at least those in Clemson's system. Like that's where you need to get. So I wonder if that's what he was shooting for, and from like a weight standpoint, I bet I bet Dad was saying that's where you need to get. You need to get to 230 before I can use you on on my field as a middle linebacker, outside linebacker. Um, so like, what happens from here? I don't know. Like physically, maybe he just gets in even better shape because he works so damn hard. Um, and then works on his speed. But even, you know, even if you don't have quite the, you know, we saw like you talked about Ben Boulware getting lost in coverage. Sure, that happened, but he, you know, in 90% of the plays, he was a plus grade because he made an impact in every play in the right. Venable system. Well, just how smart of a linebacker that Boulware was. I mean, you maybe can expect the same out of Jake being the son of a linebacker's coach. Exactly. Oh, yeah, exactly. Like, you talk about a two-year learning curve. I, I'd be like, I'd be very surprised if he's not at least capable of making a, an impact by year two. Now, he might hit his ceiling by year two, and it might not grow beyond that. He might just be what he is in terms of high, high, you know, the talent, that you know, whatever ceiling he reaches. Maybe it's not all conference. Who knows? But um, I think he'll be an impact player in like, special teams. Depending on what they want to do with the red shirt, he'll always be a very good special teams player at the very right. least. And as we know, that's actually very valuable. Yeah, that's what I've heard. Um, it's lost us national championship games. Um, okay, so we got one more guy to wrap it up with. We'll flip back to the offense side of the ball. We're going to look at the running back position. It wasn't really an elite running back class this year. It was pretty thin. Clemson uh, zoned in on Zamir White early on. He ended up picking Georgia. Uh, so Clemson ends up getting a, a commitment from Lynn J. Dixon. Um, I, I don't think... He's not the flashy type that's going to come in the first year and, and really make a huge impact, we don't think, especially not in the same way that Travis Etienne did last year. But we're actually in a pretty good spot having Feaster and Etienne coming back, as well as Adam Choice. We don't need him to right away. Exactly, yeah. I think with, with Etienne being such a hit, more so than we, I think, anyone realized, as like a every down back, like, and if you could kind of lump him and Feaster into every down back type territory... Um, then you feel really good, at least for the short-term future, about the, the position. So without that elite back, after, like you said, Zamir White left, you can go to a little bit more of a, you know, a skill set, uh, situational type uh, approach. And I think that's what they did with Lynn J. Dixon because he's more, I don't want to say, you're, like in the NFL, he would be, you know, your, your check down back, the guy you're going to uh, find um, as, a, as a pass catcher, will routes. Um, but he, he is that guy. I think he, he can mix it up. But the one thing, it's not to discount his skill set. Yeah, he's not, um, I think the, the comparison is Andre Ellington. I don't know if he's quite as talented, you know, speed-wise and things like that. But talent-wise, he is, 
He has the vision for a running back. He has like the nuances. Maybe even Etienne's not quite there. You saw a little bit of like raw uh, things. Etienne just takes the ball and runs like <laughs> as fast and hard as he can in a straight line. He's got the Forrest Gump approach, just like run that way, and that's what he does. But like I think <laughs> Forrest Gump was pretty successful. He yeah, he, he was an All American. He got to go meet the president. So I think Etienne's well on his way um, with with. Uh, with Lynn J. Dixon, though, I think there's there's some skills like that, like really natural running back skills there. Again, like his vision, his cuts. Um, I think Wayne Goleman, a guy that I used to criticize for being like just very raw, but like Wayne Goleman became a very efficient running back in the way he would run, making every oh, leaps and bounds from year to year. You could see such a noticeable improvement in, in Wayne Goleman's scheme. Um, do you think this is what we could see here? I mean, a guy that has. Uh, has a certain skill set that could lead him to succeed in that type of role. Right, right. Well, yeah, you look at Wayne Gallman with being like three-star talent, but maximizing every ounce of uh, you know, physical ability that he had. And that's what Lynn J. Dixon strikes me as. You know, if he, Wayne, Wayne Gallman had it right between the ears, so as long as Lynn J. Dixon has that same mentality, like he's going to make an impact. He's going to be good, and he has the talent to be really good. Well, if we get another Andre Ellington or Wayne Gallman out of Lynn J. Dixon, Lynn J. Dixon. I think we're going to consider this a, a home run as well. I think so. And he is 180. Let's say that. So 180. He's got to get to 190. Like you're not playing running back in the in the college unless you get to 190. So he's going to have to put on that weight. Probably not an ever down back, but a really good fit for the Clemson's running back rotation overall. We expect him to redshirt this year. Probably not. Not with uh, Fuller's. Archer, I you think. got Darian Rincher. The the team expects him to step into a much larger role this year, being being that fourth running back on the depth chart. He could, yeah. I mean, so he could slide in, and that would, I guess, ideally, they want to see Dixon come on and like, right. pick up stuff fast. And and if so, they're probably okay to burn it. But yeah, maybe Rincher is the wild card there. Well, that about wraps it up for the guys that, that came in and signed on part two of National Signing Day. Um, again, a very talented class. We're really excited about the guys that did sign. Um, we seem to have met our needs clearly at quarterback, defensive end, defensive tackle, cornerback, running back, wide receiver, and kicker. So um, very strong from those position groups. I think a couple areas here before we wrap up the show that we want to point out that we did not meet our needs on the offensive line, at linebacker and at safety. Speaking to the offensive line um, in particular, we got Jackson Carmen, which is absolutely huge. Um, but we only bring in two offensive linemen in this class, and we missed out on some other guys. We couldn't stick it in for Richard Goriage, uh, Cade Mays, obviously, uh, and Jamari Sawyer, Clemson missed on. So was, is it detrimental in this class to only sign two guys, or do we have an opportunity with them? I mean, I think we'll feel fine at offensive line this year, barring significant injuries. The depth may be somewhat of an issue, but definitely moving forward, I mean, next year we got to hit some home runs. Exactly. I think your, your exposure there is 2020, and people think of that as like, I don't care about 2000, 2020 because Dabo will figure it out by then, but that's not how shit works in college football because offensive linemen – they just take time to develop. They, they, a lot of times, like I think Larry Williams wrote an article, you, by the time you recruit him, you give him the offer as a junior, it's five years later before he's actually able to make an impact. Yeah, they're not all going to be Mitch Hyatt's. Exactly. A lot of projection that goes in with that. So it's not to say that they did a bad job, uh, they pr but they probably needed one more guy if you were going to go the developmental route. This would have been 
the, the class to take him so you could develop him over the next two years and let him play by year three. But yeah, like exactly like, exactly what you said, it puts a lot of pressure because we did go the, you know, the, we wanted to get the elite guys. And I, I, you know, I give the coaching staff credit. Like, let's get in there and make it happen. And they did with Carmen. Uh, came up a little short on Sawyer, a very little short on Mays. And, you know, like it was very close to being a really, really good offensive line class. Next year, though, it doesn't have to be Cade Mays. It doesn't have to be Jackson Carmen. But there's got to be some guys in there that you know are like your Sean Pollard's. Your Tremaine Ancrums that are ready, like you said, ready to go from year one. I mean, we're going to have to hit on at least two guys next year that can make an impact within the first two years. Yeah, I mean, basically that says it, what you just said in a nutshell. Yeah. One or two guys that can contribute right away. And plus maybe two or three other guys that are able to contribute after three or four years. Right, just to, to plug up that depth. Exactly, yeah. Um, so linebacker, flipping back over to the defense, uh, linebacker in another position, we kind of saw the, the dog and pony show with uh, Dax Hollyfield. Uh, there and his commitment there at the end. I don't know, was Clemson ever really in it for that? It doesn't sound like they were. I know the, the, what we hear is some discouragement on from Hollyfield's camp, especially with his dad, I think, of not getting an early offer from Clemson. There were some rumors going around about them being upset with Brent Vittables. I don't know to what extent we know any truths behind that, but uh, to what extent was Clemson an actual contender there at the end? No, oh, they were very much. I think he wanted Clemson. I think the mom wanted Clemson. I think that's where they're like, they felt the most compelled. That's where their heart was leading them to. It was my, it's from what I understand. Uh, and I don't want to be the rumor mill. I don't know what happened behind the scenes, what, how um, Venables rubbed that Hollyfield's dad the wrong way or whatever he said. But it, it's a bad look when you revoke a scholarship twice, where you say, hey, the scholarship's on the table. No, now it's not a committable offer. And you do that twice. It's just a, that's a bad look. Yeah, of, you can get away with doing it one time, maybe, you know, just circumstantial, but twice something's up there. And I mean, right. don't, don't blame anybody for being upset about that. Yeah. If more details leak that something about his dad or Hollyfield himself, like character wise, there were some issues and they didn't feel, but I, that to me, that wasn't the reason. The reason was using that word mismanagement of um, scholarship allocation and, and not forecasting properly how many you'd have available. And while it's not a good look, if, Hollyfeld's dad is is that petty or like I mean the reason behind he, the reason he got the scholarship revoked in the first place is just because we don't we don't run players off. If his dad can't understand that, if it was that big of a pride hit for him, I, I don't want to be this guy, but then you know, good riddance anyway. Like you should understand it was coming from a good place. That was my only thought on that. Like if you're the dad where your pride ego is so big where you can't take that hit um, and, and and put away your own ego for your son's uh, ultimate you know uh, the best interest of your son then. Good riddance. Like that's that's your you hurt you hurt your son. You're like small scale Lavar Ball. <laughs> <laughs> really, really small scale Lavar Ball. Very, very small scale. Uh, well, we're not 100 sure, 100 yeah. percent sure what happened in this situation, but there were some rumors, and definitely something went on there that kind of soured um, somebody in that party on Clemson, and unfortunately, Clemson wasn't able to get the kid. Um, and looking towards the future, our linebacker position, you know, we only bring, we bring in two this year, Mike Jones and, and uh, Jake Venables. Um, we got some guys that are going to be coming off the books this year. I mean, you got guys like the Davis Twins who are already playing significant snaps. It seems like we're kind of thin, at least on talent level, as we are. It's good to get Kendall Joseph uh, coming back this year. But, again, this is another position that next year we need to hit on maybe bring in like two or three guys and really hit home runs on two of them. Right. And again, like, 
it's the same, like when you talk about, talk about development, now you get to a, like this crossroads with offensive linemen of is this guy a bust or is he not? Like literally, will this guy ever contribute to a, you know, a Clemson's college football right. team? And that's, that's what you get to with linemen. It's not quite that same steep drop off with linebackers, but it is in terms of uh, the time that it takes to really know what they are. It's almost similar, or I guess just say how long it takes a linebacker to develop. It's about two years. Right. With that, yes, it's very like you've got to have some hits and hits with linebackers that know what the hell they're doing um, in this in this upcoming class. So. Well, we definitely see some urgency at a few positions. Um, I guess the last one we'll talk about here is the safety um, position, which is it's kind of a gray area because we have some guys who can play both cornerback and safety. And I think we're hearing that Kyler McMichael. Could play either spot. Um, so maybe just talking about the DBs as a whole, what did we miss on this year and what do we really have to focus on next year? In a, in a word, safety. And again, like you said, if, if McMichael plays safety, then that's great because he's going to be a stud regardless of where he plays cornerback or safety. But that just means we need to get another cornerback and we're thin there and we're thin at safety. So um, if, if, if he does stick to cornerback and that's where they're both going to start out, uh, him and Goodrich, then yeah, safety is a huge, um, and it's you know it's not quite not quite the level of um, development and projection needed in terms of offensive linemen or linebackers, but it's another one very instinct oriented. Uh, you need to get reps. You need to have be the right type of guy be in the system, especially Venable system where he demands a lot of the the safeties getting um, in the run game coming up and, and acting almost as linebackers, um, but also conversely being aggressive, but harnessing that aggression so you don't get beat over the top. Um, so it's, it, there's definitely a mental thing about players in, in Venable system, or safeties in Venable system, I should say. So again, uh, when we look at that, what that means, so you, wanna, you wanted to bring at least one safety in, if not two, into this class. So uh, you Guys that are going to be able to make an impact in a couple of years, because if you look down the road to 2019, even next year, the departure of Van Smith this year, I think it's going to hurt this team, at least as far as the depth goes. But you look at 2019, Isaiah Simmons has a great year. You could see him jump early to the NFL. And then, where, then where does that leave you? Right. And, I mean, God knows. I mean, you, you get a guy like Van Smith who, you know, for whatever reasons he went, I think there were some personal reasons he, he chose to go. Same thing can happen for Kevon Wallace. He might decide, you know, like, whatever, I don't, you know, or, or Isaiah Simmons. But both of them are legitimately talented enough where, yeah, maybe they do have a breakout year and they feel like they're ready. You know, personal, that's just their personal choice. Yeah, then you you are left in a in a bad situation. Uh, you, I don't know what you do in that point, but yeah, it, Leon O'Neill was the guy from Texas A&M that gave the silent to Clemson, the in-state pressure. Again, Texas is a different animal. It's like Alabama. Uh, they swooped in and, and got him to change course. So um, they they did all they could. Matthew Hill was the other uh, potential safety commit from uh, Auburn chose Auburn because, or he went to Auburn, chose there because he wanted to play wide receiver. And there's not, not much you can do there, but uh, I think early on probably could have taken a safety that you feel like you have some level of uh, reliability. You feel like they're going to be, a, again, maybe a low ceiling, or low ceiling but a high floor type player. Well, you know, long story short here, uh, and really just kind of sum everything up, is that even when you hit on such a really, really good recruiting class, again, could possibly be the best um, at least, especially as far as talent, talent is concerned in the Dabo Sweeney era, that you're still going to have holes to fill. You're never going to have a 100% perfect class. And it's not like we're 
criticizing uh, this coaching staff and this recruiting staff saying that they miss on all these guys and it's going to be doom and gloom two or three years out. No, we're just pointing out that there's some areas of weakness and that that's what we expect them to focus on next year. I mean, we have all the confidence in the recruiting staff and bringing in the guys. They've, they've shown it time and time again uh, that they're able to bring in guys to, uh, to fit their needs. You're not going to hit every need every year. And this, you know, a few of these positions, you know, shows that proves that point. Uh, but that doesn't mean that, again, it's not doom and gloom. Uh, we expect them to kind of hit the ground running next year. Again, it's going to be a much bigger recruiting class. I think that's really exciting because Clemson fans haven't seen that in a while. So it'll be interesting to kind of to, sh to, to shut the book on 2018 and really look to 2019. Right. And we, we will get to that. Um, I'll, I'll say, yeah. It's in not, 2019. In 2019. Yeah, we, hate, <laughs> we got to the point where we really hate talking about high school juniors. I hate reading about high school juniors. Like that, yeah. I don't care if we made your top care. 10. I don't care. Um, yeah, yeah. If you I don't had care if you made your babysitter's top ten, like <laughs> your unofficial visit went well, you know. I, yeah, th that ma that matters very little to us. I mean, unless you're Trevor Lawrence, a Trevor Lawrence type. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. That, that, like that's a good threshold. I did care about Xavier, Xavier Thomas. Xavier Thomas too. And, and yeah. Part of that, he was a South Carolina product out of originally yeah. from Florence, so I did care about making sure he he came to the right place. But ultimately, yeah, I don't care. About juniors, I'll start caring about you in about April after the spring game once you graduate high school. I do care about Venables kids and, uh, and their interest in Clemson because I feel like the longer, the more that they keep coming, the longer we keep him. Right. I mean, I don't know about that. I don't, I, I'm, I'm really iffy about what happens if, he, if, if that's a contingency in any way for him or if he's just happy to be here. Kansas State is not looking any more appealing than it ever did. And, and it never will. And it never will. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Well, that's a good way to end things. <laughs> so in summation, we don't know. Uh, no, it, again, a really good, really exciting uh, recruiting class this year for the Clemson Tigers. Uh, definitely some areas where there are some weaknesses, but you know, we'll give uh, the coaching staff all the confidence in the world that they'll make adjustments. But um, as far as that's concerned, looking into the actual 2018 football season, there's several guys in this class that we think are going to make an impact and could be part of what could be another national championship team for the Clemson Tigers. We'll see how it plays out. Uh, before we go, I just want to thank everybody for listening and also to remind you that uh, you can subscribe to us on your favorite podcasting app. And then also to go onto iTunes and please leave us a review if you have the time. And of course, we really appreciate all the continued engagement on social media platforms such as Facebook, and Twitter. Uh, keep hitting us up on there. Uh, I think the plan for moving forward here, spring practice will be starting up before you know it, so we'll be back every once in a while talking some football, talking about storylines and projections uh, moving on into the next year. And also the Clemson basketball team, we mentioned at the beginning of the show, two-game losing streak. I think it's the first back-to-back -back losses for, for this team this year. Dealing with some injuries, that's tough. Uh, but still overall, really good season from them. We'll be back hopefully this week um, after the Georgia Tech game to have a recap of kind of the past three games. Uh, and then also baseball. Clemson baseball kicked off, as we mentioned at the top of the show, uh, with William and Mary this weekend, had a three-game sweep. Uh, we'll take a look into this team this year, what we expect. You know, there's some household names, guys coming back, and Beer and Williams. Uh, but then a lot, also a lot of unknowns with the starting pitching staff, so I think that could be 
one of the areas where we should really focus on and, and, and aren't really sure what we're going to get out of that position group. But that being said, Monty Lee, three, his now third year as the head coach of Clemson Baseball, uh, a lot of exciting things going on there. Well, thanks again for listening, folks. Again, we appreciate the time you take to listen to our podcast. And as always, go Tigers. Sorry. Okay, Ben. So the key to cryptocurrency trading is you want to start on a standard Coinbase GDAX account. Put your money in there blindly. Just throw as much money as you have in your savings. Put it in Bitcoin and in other mainstream Bitcoin alternatives like Litecoin, Ethereum, uh, or now those are, I guess those are the big three. Then you want to convert it into altcoins, and you do that by sending your money to the Binance platform. That's where you can trade real-time these altcoins that are fast developing, fast moving, some big 25, 50%, 50%, even 75% swings on a daily basis, and you can ride those waves. Buy the dips, sell the peaks, you'll become rich like really quick. And you call me a degenerate for... Winning 1500 bucks at Blackjack. Um, Cody, I don't know how I feel about this cryptocurrency. I don't think I like the idea of taking all the money in my savings account and just throwing it at some imaginary um, imaginary currency. Uh, doesn't seem like a smart idea to me. Doesn't, sound, doesn't seem like a thing that smart people do with their money. Then they um, have a word for people like you. They're called... <laughs> <laughs>